I saw that you have read or read a good portion of Stoner. Yes, I completed that on Sunday. So that goes all the way back to our first episode, right? Like the very first thing, one of the first things that I brought up was this book, partially because it was top of mind. I hadn't read it that long ago when we first started talking. And there was just some funny little parallels between the stuff that you were talking about as a kid growing up in a rural area to this book. And I don't know if I said, you should go read this. I don't think I did, because it's not necessarily a book that is like a, a, a fun read. <laughs> right, right. Um, so so did, did, you, did you like it? How, how did you feel about that book? All right, so I know, I'm pretty sure you didn't technically recommend it, but mm. with some people, I tend to take things as a recommendation when they're talking about them. Yeah. So if I attributed that to you... And you didn't actually recommend it, sorry. No, no. But I took it as a <laughs> recommendation. Yeah. But yeah. I I did enjoy this. Now, I will say that this thing struck home very dearly to me simply because the book is set at the University of Missouri in Columbia. I grew up very close to that university, and I know it fairly well. Really? And I spent a lot of time in the Kansas City area and in the St. Louis area. We live right in, in between those two. So I'm very familiar with Boonville and a lot of the towns that he mentions in that. And I can see some of the roads between those towns. So this was kind of like reading about history of the area that I grew up in. Wow. It was it was very odd in that way. Huh. That's interesting. It's I think it was written in the 60s, if I'm Right. Yes. A different time period, and I'm sure that the place is still fairly similar to the world of which this book is is written in. Right. Right. And like you said, it's not a necessarily a fun read. <laughs> like this is not one that you're going to read and say, "Oh, I feel so good about this guy," and you know he's he's done such a great job with his life. You don't come away from it like that at all. Yeah. Uh, I think if you were to really get into his mind, it would be a very depressing book. But this, I think, is one of the best books I've read in a very long time, oddly enough, uh, simply because I think there's a lot to be said for understanding yourself and being aware of what's going on in your life. And he seems to be incredibly aware of all the little details and the nuances that go on in life and has this really strong and deep search for real life connection. And experiences probably once, but in an arena that even he didn't approve of, it didn't seem. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to go into the details because I think people should go read it. But it did strike me that this is a, a an interesting story about someone who didn't live in the time of social media and interconnectedness worldwide like we do, and yet he still struggled to find real world and, and real friendships uh, and the connections that come from those. So I really liked it. it. It really struck me. So thanks for mentioning it. I feel like over the last decade, the whole concept of apps has been so different than it used to be. I was just thinking about that. Like I, I referenced something like Winamp recently and I called it an app, yep. but they weren't called apps. They were called like programs or yes. something completely different. And it's just even weird to think back to that because the term app and having an app and downloading apps all seems so commonplace and normal now, but that wasn't always the way that it was. And I have kind of moved away from the world of the Mac as I've gone full iOS and 
using everything on my iPad and all of that stuff. But there's still obviously quite a bit of development going on. And there's an app called SetApp that lets you have a subscription service to quite a few of them. And you've been using that, right? Yes. I've been using it for three months now, two months, I don't know, somewhere in there. And it's an interesting service. And I have lots of thoughts about it. But I, I think you're right, the the concept of what qualifies as an application. I mean, I'm a web developer, and we, we don't really call them websites most of the time. It's usually a web application. <laughs> like we, we've even adopted the term. Yeah, it's true. Because it, it gets really blurry. I mean, take, uh, for example, Todoist. Like, there's, there's a popular one. They have their native apps, and then they have their web app. And they're all applications. They're all apps. So, <laughs> like, we just, it, it bleeds over into a lot of areas. And we used to have, you know, programs, you'd have what we would call utilities, you had services, like all of these things were, were different. And you can still kind of see that on the Mac to an extent where you'll have like menu icons or toolbars and they call themselves services, or I think there's still the utilities folder on the, on the Mac as well. So it, it still has some of that, but everybody's moving to apps. Everybody wants an app. And not only is everyone moving to apps, but those apps are moving to subscription models. Ulysses, we talked about that before. A few of these different apps that I use all the time, they're not just a one-time purchase. You download it and now you have it forever type of thing. It's uh, You pay for it monthly or annually. And so it makes sense for something to come along and be a subscription service for a bunch of apps where you just pay a flat fee and you get a bunch of different things. So, I mean, like, how's that been working out for you? Have you liked it? Well, here's here's the thing with SetApp. It's one of those that I feel like a lot of people are curious about, but they're not sure it's worth the 10 bucks a month or whatever. They're, I think it's $10. People just don't really seem to think it's it's worth it because they don't have the crossover financially. I think if you're someone who's paying the Ulysses subscription and you have maybe one or two of the other apps that are there. I think I just saw Bartender join the group there, which is one that I use heavily and have for a long time. But it it seems like if you have two or three of these that you're already paying subscriptions, it's better off to cancel those and then go the set app route Mm -hmm. just because of a financial breakpoint. And I think if you hit that breakpoint, it's really the best thing you can do is, is go ahead and make that shift. Now that I've been in it, and this is this is the way it always goes, isn't it? Someone jumps in, jumps in head first on something like this, and then they realize how great it is, and then they think everybody should do it. This is exactly what, <laughs> <laughs> exactly where I landed. Yeah, and it's primarily because there's so many utilities in it now, so many apps in there that I wasn't aware of, and now have become part of my everyday life. So mm. it's really a an excellent Swiss Army knife, if you will. That, that helps me get into some tools that really have helped me out quite a bit. Well, what are you using? I suppose that would be the logical next question, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. I have 15 applications downloaded from SetApp at the moment. And the other nice thing about this is you can just download them and try them. So it's kind of cool. Uh, the ones that are, I think, the most interesting, Clean My Mac. Uh, I didn't have that before, but that's kind of a, a well-known app that a lot of folks use. As a developer... I have a few on here that people are going to roll their eyes at. <laughs> so there, there's a couple here. What is it? Expressions. Are you familiar with regex or regular expressions? Yeah. Do you use them? No, but I'm, I'm familiar with them. Okay. This is, this is a way to play with them and, and get them right. I write enough code that it's just super helpful to have that. 
there's another one here, Paw. And we've talked about APIs before to an extent. I've got entire, you know, hidden applications on the on the web that connect APIs together. Paw is a way of testing those and just seeing what you're going to get when you send information to and collect information from an API. I've been using that with my business because so many of my clients want me to connect to obscure APIs I've never heard of. And this makes my life so much easier to just test all of that stuff. Mm. So it has saved me a significant amount of time. And I did not know this thing existed. So I'm quite happy. Yeah. Obviously, Ulysses is in here. There's just some simple ones like forecast bar. It's putting the weather in your menu bar. But then there's one that I, again, didn't realize I would use at all as world clock. I have typically just gone online and typed in time zones because I think it, what am I at now? 70% of my client base is international and they usually send me the where they're at in the world and I have no clue. Like, okay, is that six hours ahead of me? Is that 12 hours behind me? I have no idea. So it's tricky for me to, to nail those things down. This just lets me type in the time zone and boom, it tells me you know what time it is right now there and lets me schedule things through that. So that has saved me. I actually saved myself from missing a meeting because of that one once. Mm. I'm a fan. And here's here's the thing, like they keep adding things to this and there's a bunch on here that I haven't even I haven't even played with yet, but I I just need to spend like 6 hours <laughs> and just go through this thing and play with them. Yeah, there's some there's some cool ones on here that I hadn't noticed before. I see that like Unibox is on here, which is a email app that kind of takes a different approach to showing you what's in your inbox. And I think I remember a while ago feeling like that had been abandoned and I just looked it up and it's got an update in the last couple of months on the app store. And, you know, it's here in Setup and they've developed a Mac app. And yeah, I, I feel like this is an interesting way forward for some of these apps that are just a bit too obscure to exist on their own. I think it's a cool path forward for developers who are trying to figure out how to monetize their apps without feeling super pressured into creating a huge fan base or going the freemium route or something like that. I mean, this this really makes sense. I have a memory of downloading some sort of like suite of Mac apps years ago and just having fun trying out the different things. And this kind of brings that back in a weird way of feeling like, oh, you know, I haven't tried this out, but let me download this. Like the world clock, you probably would have never gone and looked for a world clock application. No. But now that you have one, hey, it's awesome. And it's cool that your money is going to help support someone to create the world clock because someone should be developing that, right? Like that's the weird thing about apps is that there's so many of these that have to be free because they're too obscure to make money but these people deserve some return on this development and it's it's cool to see something like setup exist and try to help them create a path forward i think you're onto a, a, a cool path there too because as a developer as someone who builds uh in my case web apps so i don't really get into the mac app world at all mm. but i could easily see you know if i was in that space the concept of having a tool like setup where you could almost soft launch an application just to see how much you're going to how much demand there is for something to put it out on a service like this so that you can make, you know, a few dollars a month maybe off of that application just to see engage how much interest there is in it. That I think it could go a long way. And and like you said, this is a great platform just to try things out. And I I actually have a couple friends who subscribed to Setup purely to give a number of these little utilities uh, a run for their money just to see if they like them or not. Totally. With the intent of 
canceling said app and then going and buying these applications outside of it. And they realized that, well, they had so many of them that they wanted to to do that with that it didn't make sense to cancel the set app subscription. It's just better off to keep it. So I don't know. I'm I'm a big fan. I, I will say that this is something I'm gonna hold on to for for some time. They continue to add to it, so I'm I'm impressed by it. And I think it's something that I hope sticks around for a while. I mean I think it's a great idea. And I I do think it's kind of one of those weird things, right? Where if you're using two or three of these these applications, then it's probably worthwhile just to get the subscription service instead of having to break it up piecemeal. Right. This is a weird question, but when's the last time that you bought an app from the Mac App Store? From the Mac App Store? Uh, I'm trying to think if I've ever bought an app from the Mac App Store. (laughs) Right. Now I got to look it up, Drew. (laughs) I don't know that I've ever actually purchased an app from there. The, the reason that I brought that up is just because I feel like app discovery isn't the same that it used to be. And honestly, I mean, this is something I'd love to talk to you about, which is, do you think that there's a difference between where we are right now in 2018 and where we were a few years ago in app discovery? Like, I think it's gotten kind of worse. I, I haven't really downloaded many apps for my iPad, my iPhone, or my Mac in the last couple of years, I feel like things are starting to get kind of set in stone. Are you the same way, or do you download a bunch of new stuff all the time? I rarely download new stuff. This is partially why I think I like Setup, because you get to learn about some cool things. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm kind of a fan of the new iOS app store that they've come out with, where they're they're showing you new stuff each day. Like That's something that I'm I'm a fan of. But I don't see a clear path of finding new things, and I don't download new stuff. This might be why some of the podcasts or articles uh, of or videos that you put together that are talking about apps that you're using, especially if they're kind of obscure, those things always take off. They just do. Uh, and I think that's partially because people are trying to figure out what, what's new that's out there. They may not be able to say that. like They can't tell you that that's what they're doing, but they're kind of hoping to run across something new. How many lists are out there of my top 10 apps and you see text expander and you see one password, you see Evernote, like (laughs) you see all these that you've seen a hundred times now, but you just don't run across articles like that, that have, you know, the newest or the latest and greatest on things. So I haven't really thought through that, but I think you're probably right. Like the, the state of learning about new apps because I, I just don't know how I find new ones, really, because I just don't. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty locked into my, my normal set that I have on my home screen. I just recently downloaded a new app for the first time in a long, long while that, like, immediately usurped something on my home screen. Okay. And, you know, we had talked about that not too long ago, home screens, and mine's been pretty static for a while. But a new app came out by developer Jared Sinclair, who created the unread RSS reader a while ago. Oh, yeah. And he created a new podcast app called... What's it called? <laughs> it's on your home screen. <laughs> I know, but it's a weird name. No, this, this is why I couldn't remember it. It's because the name is Sodes. Sodes. Which is extremely good. And I think, I think he named it that because he was specifically uninterested in creating another podcasting app with the word casts in it yeah because you know we got the overcast we got the pocket cast we got the castro we got yep. more and more and more of those and he said no drawing a line in the sand there and he created this very very minimal refreshingly delightful podcast app i saw that you tweeted about it at one point mm-hmm. and i had not heard of it at that point i just sent you a screenshot of it so that you can kind of see it 
And the reason that I like it so much is because it has absolutely no features to speak of. It's <laughs> got its name really large up in the top, you know, left-hand corner. And then underneath that, it has a list of favorites and there's no text. It's just a big grid of a bunch of your, the thumbnails of all of the different shows and then a list of podcasts in progress. And if you pull up the podcast now playing screen, I'm not even going to screenshot it for you because you can imagine it perfectly. It is the thumbnail of where you are in the episode, the name of the episode, a big old play button, a big old back button, and a big old forward button. And that is it. And it's kind of refreshing to me because I feel like so often these apps have to do like 150 things for 150 different people and 150 different use cases. And this is an app that just says no thanks and does one thing for one person. And that one person is the developer, but it also works just fine for me. But that just isn't common anymore, is it? I, I don't think so. Here's my question for the developer of Sodes. In this particular case, I think this app, Sodes, is likely going to stay that way where it's not overloaded with features. And that's partially because knowing the app unread, it was designed that way as well and kind of stayed that way. Right. It, it never really developed beyond that. But I, I sometimes get hesitant to say that new apps aren't going to get bloated with features just because what they're doing is probably the smart thing of get something that's minimally viable and get it out the door. And this probably is not that case. It's probably a case where Jared is taking the time to build something very solid yeah. and keep it minimal so that here's my podcast. I'm going to listen to it. Done. And that's the full full extent of what he's doing. But I don't think I see very many apps like that. And it's interesting. Welcome to 2018. We're excited about an app that doesn't have features. Right. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's interesting. And this is the thing, right, is that I feel like for quite a few of my friends who listen to podcasts, this does not make sense for them. It doesn't even have chapter marker support, and he's not really interested in developing that. It doesn't have this. It doesn't have that. It doesn't have this. It doesn't have that. It doesn't have smart speed, which I know a lot of people really love. But for me, you know, I think the thing is, is that when I pull out a podcast, I'm typically on the way to do something else or about to go for a walk or get in the car or something like that. And having as little friction as possible from me opening the app to me listening to a, a podcast is a really great idea. And one of the things that it gets rid of is kind of that inboxy feeling for podcasts, like where you have this list of podcasts that you haven't listened to and need to download or not download or remove from the, the, the queue. And this just doesn't, doesn't even have a queue. There is no queue. It plays one episode and the episode finishes and then you decide what to do next. And I kind of like that because I feel like this is addressing one of those things that I like the least about technology, which is the weird kind of mental fatigue that you have when you have to navigate its menus and figure out the arcane ways that the developer intended you to get from A to B. And this has none of that. And I think that more apps could use a weird rethinking like this, just kind of like I think a lot of developers could use a rethinking of the way that they're monetizing it, like Setup. I think that we're kind of at a point where it's time to, to take a new look at stuff. And I'm just glad to see a few of these options popping up, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's an interesting concept to bring up the idea of I'm going to pull up and listen to this podcast and then it's going to be done instead of bringing out some of the automation features of just playing the next episode, whether it's a TV show or whether it's a podcast player, it doesn't matter. So I, I think that's interesting because 
you know, you and I talk a lot about taking breaks, finding absence. Uh, we're big fans of the Hurry Slowly show. So there's there's a lot of these things that you and I are are starting down the path of. Drew's finally got pen and paper in, in place. So, you know, these are these are things that we get involved in. And I think if you abstract that concept within these applications of just automatically giving you the next thing, even email apps, like you can get it set up such that you, you get done with one and it automatically brings you into the next one. And I don't know that that's what I want <laughs> in most cases. Right. It, it's interesting how... When we do that, it's encouraging speed of consumption in some form, and that's not necessarily the right path. Even if you look at books, you can speed through a book, and as soon as you get done reading the last page, you close it, set it on the bookshelf, and move on. But have you fully processed it? I don't know. Maybe in some cases. In others, definitely not. And what do you do in those scenarios? But that's that's not even a, a concept that you can even consider with the autoplaying features and even videos and Twitter feeds and Facebook feeds autoplay. It's really geared towards this consumption mentality. And I suppose that is kind of refreshing whenever you think about it with having other applications that don't do that. I sure do wish that there was an email app that had that same kind of forward looking mentality. I think that I saw like a tweet from Jared Sinclair that was talking about that. Why do we even have stuff like unread notifications that we feel impulsively like we have to get rid of? Yeah, like it'd be really cool to see a email app that was designed minimally and without a lot of the cruft that has come with email for a long time. Did you have a little change in the way that you deal with email? Yes, I for a long time had email on my phone and I took it off of my phone. All right, so this is this is going to go back to the time when Joe is doing morning pages every single morning. Okay, the good days. So whenever I do morning pages, because I, I can get to it two or three times a week at the moment, so it is a thing that's slowly creeping its way back into my life. But at the same time, I have a habit of, had a habit of whenever I would sit down to write them, the first topic that would come to mind, I would try to stay on it as long as I could, mm. just to try to flush out what I thought about or how I felt about it. And whenever I did that. Uh, there, there was one morning that I, I brought up email in my mind and, and stress and was kind of running through this concept of, okay, does email stress me out? Well, how many people does it not stress out? And what do I do about it? And I realized that I was spending a large amount of time on my phone checking email. And I, I would do just that. I would check it just to see if a client had a problem or if there was a prospective client that came in. And I would try to get back to those folks as quickly as I could. But in the process, I would open the emails that weren't just out of habit or curiosity. Right. And once they had that red marker on it, they were no longer with the little blue icon. I would have trouble going back to them the second time. The goal here was to alleviate the possibility of me checking these things at all and hopefully Push me back towards batching email on my on my Mac, just because I'm, I'm a lot better on the Mac with with email. I'm faster at it, and I have a full keyboard. But the the overarching thing here is I got email off of my phone purely as a way to try and alleviate some of the stressors and prevent me from putting off responding to emails. That was the intent. I'm not entirely sure how it went yet. <laughs> I'm still in this experiment somewhat. Well, what do you mean? I'm not entirely convinced that it's a good thing for me to not have email on my phone. 
partially because I have clients that I want to get back to quickly. And when I don't have email on my phone, it's very difficult for me to do that. Just because there are a number of days or periods in a day where I'm moving between uh, my IT clients or doing things in the yard or something, it gets very difficult for me to to batch things. I'm aware that it's better that I do it in batches, but there's some form of a stressor from not being able to keep an eye on those things. And that might just be a factor of me having the habit of checking it for so long that not having it there then becomes the stressor itself. Do you get the mentality I'm trying to share there? Yeah, I totally do. Where now instead of having the option to check your email and get it over with, now you have to have the mental fatigue of the thought of soon going to a computer to check your email. Is that kind of it? Yeah, and and knowing that I'm not going to get the time to go do that batch process, you know, it may be 4.30 in the afternoon, but I know that I'm not going to have time to go do that batch process until 9 o'clock the next morning. Mm-hmm. And that span of time is long enough. It's almost torturous to wait, <laughs> not knowing what's going on. Yeah, I get that. You know how Apple gives those like restrictions on the iPhone and you can do the weird things where you can like set it so that certain apps can't be on the phone until like a password is enabled or something like that. Oh, right. I wish that that feature was built out a bit more and I could make apps disappear for certain amounts of time. Like I wish that I could have from hour A to hour B, Twitter and Facebook and email and this and that all just disappears from my phone and I don't have access to it. And at a certain time, those apps reappear on my phone just where I left them and without me having to log back in or anything. Because obviously I could delete them, but then if I need to reinstall them later, what a what a hassle that is. But I feel like I want that for like the mornings. And maybe that's kind of what you want too. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that I think there's some of this that has to do with the fact that I'm and you're in the same boat. You know, we run our own businesses and you tend to want to keep tabs on it and there's a little bit of a drive to make sure I'm providing for my family that's innate within me. So, I'm aware of that and because of that, I I feel this huge responsibility to not let the ball drop on any of my client projects because I know that's what pays the bills. And it feels irresponsible to me to neglect something like email when that is borderline the lifeblood of that business. Right. So by saying I'm going to wait from 4.30 in the afternoon until 9 o'clock the next morning to check my email, it almost feels like I'm neglecting that provider role to my family. That is where my mind goes. I know that that's, that's kind of a stretch to get to that, but it still doesn't stop that feeling that's there is i don't know is this something that you deal with at all do you have email on your phone am i just being weird email isn't a big deal for me because i just honestly don't have that many communications via email every day i wake up i don't have that many emails but i do have that feeling where you sort of prioritize email over other things and feel the need to respond to something when it comes through to you and i have it i have uh notifications turned on for email for a while i didn't but i think the thing is is like 
there has to be moments in your life where you feel freed up from all of that. And if you are constantly looking at them, you're not freed from it because it's taking up your time. But even if you aren't looking at it, that doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't freed from it because you're still thinking about the fact that it needs to happen at some point. And I feel like that's a problem with not having appropriate like delineation between the times of morning or morning pages or work and non-work. And unfortunately, we just kind of live in a world where those on and off patterns and periods don't exist like they used to. Or maybe they just never really existed and it's really, really evident now because you can constantly be reached. But that's the weird thing about these devices, right, is people are expecting a response. And we talked about that a long time ago. What is the appropriate amount of time that can go between someone emailing you and, and you responding? What is the appropriate amount of time that can go between someone messaging you via a text and you not responding. Like all of that stuff is weirdly subconsciously unspoken, but a requirement. And then since you know it's a requirement, you kind of begin to feel that inside of yourself and feel like you're not doing a great job if you aren't on top of it to begin with. So when I pulled email from my phone, and I have had spells where I've put it back on, mostly because I'm going to be traveling all day and it's nice to have it there whenever we do rest stops and such, just to make sure nothing's falling apart and I need to go pull a computer out and bring a website back up. It's nice in those cases, but I think there's a little bit of a a factor here as well where if I had, say, 12 months worth of an emergency fund sitting in the bank account, I would probably treat this a lot differently just because of the way that my mind works and knowing where I land financially. It's weird how much of this has to do with purely making sure bills are paid. But I think that's the nature of being your own boss. You're always paying attention to those details. And in this particular case, the ones that I I find myself checking fairly regularly is, you know, I I feel like I want to check in on email a lot. And I'm also checking my calendar a lot just because I know that I have to schedule a lot of things just to make sure that nothing falls through the cracks. So I have a fair number of meetings. I have a fair number of emails that come in. And just for, you know, so listeners can understand what I'm what I'm checking on, I get close to 100 emails a day. Yeah. That is after filtering out newsletters and that's after filtering out contact form type uh, emails that I'll get. Those are emails that are sent directly to me by a person. Uh, it's not a robotic thing in any way. So, you know, if, if I count all of that, I get close to 300 in a day if you want to count all that stuff. That's too many emails, man. I know, but it keeps things moving. And it's partially why I've been growing my business lately and looking at ways of doing that, just because there's so much going on that I have a hard time keeping up with it all and need some help with it. So that is one piece. So, you know, bring this all together here. Between the meetings, between the emails and and everything that goes on, these are things that I know... If I have email on my phone, I'm going to check it constantly in order to, you know, get through things or just make sure nothing's falling apart. But this is also a factor of the work that I've been doing has been gaining enough traction that I'm getting a lot of inquiries and I need to figure out how to handle that so that I can scale some of that email load back. But I'm not to a a point where I can really cut some of that yet. And until then, I need to stick to having email off of my phone just so that I can get a little bit of a break from it and not be stressing about it so frequently. Because if I have it on there, the negatives that come from having it there are greater than those of not having it there. If <laughs> if you can see the balance that I'm trying to 
to paint there. Are there any other apps that you have removed from your phone for similar reasons? Permanently or temporarily? Either. Well, I've done the normal experiments of pulling social media off my phone. Mm -hmm. I can't say that I'm really one that has any form of an addictive problem with social media. So I have those on here. I have deleted them from time to time uh, whenever I know that they're getting to be a habit that I shouldn't have. But I can't say that I've had anything that's as pervasive as the email bit that falls into that category. Is this a thing you've done? I just feel like this is a thing that everyone does. I think that this is just a weird thing that we're starting to have to get accustomed to because we are attached at the hip to these devices that we carry all the time. Last month, my wife deleted Twitter and Facebook and Instagram from her phone for a period of a couple of weeks just because she wanted some time away from them. I've done the same thing or buried Twitter deep in a folder so I just don't see it all the time and then used it more for work and tried to remind myself if I ever subconsciously open it. I've deleted email. I deleted Slack when Slack started taking up a big part of my life and just used that on my laptop or my iPad. Yeah, I just feel like this is something that's becoming more and more weirdly common when something that you don't necessarily want to look at all the time but need to look at becomes so top of mind that you can't very easily escape it. And I don't think we really have a great solution to that. I feel like that's kind of a weird problem in the way that our phones are built, that they're very much on off. You have the app or you don't have the app. And that's the end of that. And when you wake up in the morning, what do you look at? You look at your phone. And if you wake up and look at your phone in the morning, what's the first thing that you open? Probably not something that you necessarily want to open. And that's just a weird problem. And I don't necessarily know the answer to it, but I do know that it's probably better to delete it and have to deal with the fallout from that than it is to give in. I would be interested in knowing how many people delete apps just because they become pervasive. Because I feel like a lot of people don't. And maybe that's just my perception. But it seems like most people just continue down the habitual process. But at the same time, I also know... At least folks in our age category seem to have this tendency to delete things. I don't know that I run across that in, say, high schoolers much at all, but I think you're right. I think there are a few, a number of people who do this. I just don't know that it would be a large number, but I hope it is. <laughs> well, I mean, high school is a different story to me because of a lack of agency there, right? I mean, when you're a high schooler, you don't have a whole lot going on in your life. So True. whenever there's something that can you know, keep you from being super bored... You can't necessarily pick up stick and do something else or say, I have work to do. You have some work to do, you do the work, and then you have nothing else to do because you're a high schooler and that's your job. Your job is to go to high school and do a little bit of stuff and then do a whole lot of nothing. And so I get that. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like it's when you reach that age of identity, that age of freedom, and then you start saying, oh no, these habits of distraction or these habits of just looking at something important too often are debilitating, and I don't want that anymore. And I do feel like that's pretty typical for people to do that. I could be wrong. Maybe I am in a small subset of people that delete stuff. And the problem is, is that these things are so pervasive that there's no actually deleting it. You can't really get away with that. I heard recently that an author that I love, his name is Sebastian Younger. Uh, he wrote a book called Tribe. I don't know if we ever talked about that or not. I know of it. It's on the list but I haven't gotten to it. Yeah, it's a great book about community and what brings us together and really, really interesting stuff. And he also wrote uh, The Perfect Storm, 
which was later turned into a movie. And I think he wrote another book called like War and was even part of a documentary about war called Restrepo. I think that's how you say it. And anyways, he's a very interesting person uh, and recently talked about how he has never had a smartphone, how he has a flip phone and has never gone beyond that. Do you know anybody like that? I know some folks, but they're gray hairs. So yes, exactly. Right. It's, it's not because they've consciously decided it's because they can't fathom having it. Right. 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 I don't want to do the new thing. So I'm just not going to do it at all. That's, that seems to be the, the mindset that's coming there. Yeah, and this was in an interview, and I think he said something along the lines of that he doesn't have one, has never had one, and doesn't really want one because he doesn't think that people that have them actually feel any better for having them. And I don't know if I can disagree with that. It's tough to argue with that. <laughs> I know, isn't that? It's kind of hard, you know? And it is one of those weird things where once you have it, it's kind of hard to go back to not having it. Just because you delete email from your phone doesn't mean that now you are worry-free. It just means that you've transferred that worry to another place or to another kind of problem. And I mean, yeah, it just is kind of this weird thing where you don't really feel like you can go back. But I kind of respect this person who has decided to never start in the yeah. first place, you know? Yeah, I was, I was talking to, I was at a men's group last night and we were talking about uh, seeing students and high schoolers who were on their phones. And someone was talking about how if you go to the mall and just sit and watch and see the young folks there and just try to count how many are happy and have a, a happy look on their face. Mm. And in their experience, the the people who they had seen were very discontented and very angry most of the time. Okay, well, how many did you run across who were actually happy the whole time you were there? And it was very few. And, you know, you can attribute that to a lot of things. But I think we, as a culture and as a society, we spend so much time on them that you just become disconnected. We've talked about this how many times? Totally. It becomes pervasive, I know. So this is a topic that I think you and I are both fairly passionate about. But I... I, I do think there's a number of folks who've not ever had a smartphone. They don't have any interest in having one. I know my, my in-laws originally got them simply because they were told if they don't, they're going to get left behind. <laughs> so maybe, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, but I don't know. There's there's a lot of good that can come from them. I think you just have to control it. Yeah. Again, we've talked about this, but if you treat it like a tool instead of a thing to take your mind off of something, that's where I think it can be helpful. But I don't know that most people think of it that way. I think that's kind of a, an anomaly with a mindset. I found where I initially saw this, by the way, it was on Cal Newport's blog, and he had just posted about it a few days ago. And the quote that I thought was pretty impactful was the interviewer, Joe Rogan, said, you know, don't you want a phone when you're out? And Sebastian said, no, when I'm out, I want to be out in the world. If you're looking at your phone, you're not in the world, so you don't get either. I just look around at this, and I'm an anthropologist, and I'm interested in human behavior, and I look at the behavior, literally, the physical behavior with people with smartphones, and it looks antisocial and unhappy and anxious, and I don't want to look like that, and I don't want to feel how those people feel. <laughs> and I just thought that that was not not too far off base. I think the reason that I'm I'm even saying that is just because I feel like this is obviously an extreme to say, I don't want a flip phone, I never want a flip phone. But it's also not incorrect to say people don't look happy when they have a phone in their hands. 
And even though it doesn't feel controllable, that is a controllable thing, right? And I think that the important thing that matters is when you pull your phone out, whatever is on it is there because of your choices and because of your decisions. And so if deleting email makes that a better experience, then delete email. And if deleting Twitter or Facebook makes that a better experience, delete Twitter and delete Facebook and delete Instagram and delete them all. And make sure that the thing that you're using over and over again every day, more often than really any other object in your life, is something that brings you, if not happiness, then definitely not anxiety. Like that is not a good way to live. And I feel like we've all been trending towards that for a while and need to figure out how the heck to get out of it. 